0: It's here. Hello and welcome to Socialist Night Live. We are going to get straight into it tonight we are talking about Rishi Sunak's spring statement and the implications of that for ordinary working class people. Um, I'll quickly go around the panel, I think you'll recognise everyone, some have been on the show before, Uh, actually everyone's been on the show before, Uh, John's done an Origins in the past uh, which was really really popular, so um, I'll start with Jane, hi Jane, how are you?
1: Hi everyone, very happy to be here tonight, very sad about the budget, but (laughs) let's see what we can decide as an alternative.
0: And um, those of you who watch Political Unmuted on a Tuesday will be familiar with Stuart. Stuart's kind of like our everyman kind of thing, very rooted in his community. Um, so, Stuart, how are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing all right, uh, other than, you know, the oppression of massive bills and food costs and having to freeze to death.
0: Yeah, yeah, th- those are those are massive negatives, aren't they? Those are big yeah. worries. You, know, you um, notice them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll go to our um, our other panellist who isn't, John, which is you at home. Some of you will see down the side. Some of you have, aren't familiar with our show on uh, that side. We have got some comments coming up. If you want to be involved in the conversation, if you want to post comments, I know a lot of you are watching on Twitter now. Um, if you want to do... A, a, do um, a comment that gets through to us tonight on the panel then please do that through Facebook or YouTube because it doesn't work on Twitter anymore it used to before they changed everything so um, yeah if you could migrate over to there that would be really good if you want to answer, ans- ask any questions or you can just stay on Twitter and watch there um, and yeah just enjoy from there okay and our final panelist um, the the person you kind of probably all here for it's John Trickett, hi John
3: Hi there and um glad to be here this evening it's i'm a great fan of your show and so it's a bit of a privilege for me to be able to come and um, talk to you all maybe listen to some questions get a feeling what people are saying uh, round and about because clearly we're in very very difficult times here and uh we're going to listen to each other learn from each other work out what to do next
0: Thanks John yeah and, and it will be some really difficult times and we're going to start off by going into that actually and Stuart's going to talk about like what's what he thinks the problems are in his local community the things that are really coming up and we're going to come to you straight after that John to, just to just to oh. see like you know what you think about that but before we do that we will speak a little bit about the spring statement was there anything good in there at all from um, from what Rishi Sunak said any, like, you know, would, any, any would, positives I, whatsoever?
3: Not not many, I'm afraid. There were uh, nothing really that you could say uh, we could celebrate. I mean, just a small example. He said he was going to cut fuel duty on petrol. I think it was five pence a litre. But it took place in the context of a five pence increase in the price that day. And what people may not understand is, but they should have to think about it, A large part of the cost of uh, petrol and diesel is actually tax. Uh, And, you know, there's VAT and various forms of tax. Every time the price goes up, what people may not realize is more money goes to uh, Rishi Sunak. So I think, you know, uh, know, he's got a large amount of money tucked away, billions of pounds tucked away. Uh, which he hasn't spent. And as we know, I'm sure we're going to hear tonight, people are really, really, really suffering.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. So in your community at the moment, Stuart, what sort of things are people saying? I know that you, like, you're like you out and about a lot, you talk to people. So what are they saying in your community?
2: It, it, it comes down to very basic things. People are asking me, you know, how am I supposed to afford to go to work? It cost me 80 quid to fill up my car. I have to go ninety minutes up the road uh, for my job that I'm, you know, essentially mandated to do through universal credit. and it's like, do I get a cheaper car? Do I get public transport? And they're finding that the, their options are, you know, non-existent. Uh, they they have the car with the, you know, uh, that gives them the, the miles per gallon that they have. There's no way for them to make that option cheaper the There isn't the the public transport that they need in place to give them a, an option that way. you get a lot of people certainly in my uh community in my town where they don't have access to you know public transport they don't want to get on the the bus and go to the next big town over to get to a supermarket and they don't have a car they're saying well my my food bill is exploded in cost because they they have access to only a handful of shops. You know, it's essentially a food desert in many ways. Uh, their their choice is very limited. They can't go to a cheaper place to buy food. And they, uh, they've they run out of options. And it's uh, across the board, all these things where people feel that they have no option out of this. They keep saying, how am I supposed to afford this uh, price increase on my electricity and my gas? And it, it's difficult to say, well, you don't really have an option. Other than to, to default on the payment, that's just how much it is. There's no, I can't tell them that the support coming from the government in any uh, practical way is going to alleviate the pressures on them. And there's so many people who are just so stressed out, and you know have this building anxiety. That you know they're waiting for what's going to happen in three months' time, six months' time. If we have a really really bad winter. They're going to they they know that they are gonna be in debt by the time that they get to December with regards to their fuel costs. They know that they're not going to have any wiggle room then. They're terrified of it. There's this mountain pressure and it's it's so difficult to try and help people in with it.
0: Um I'm gonna to come to Jane and a question from Jacqueline in a bit about um and basically it's about rich people being out of touch, you know, they aren't going to see this because these small increases to a small salary, small increase in costs for people on small salaries, are going to really, really um, you know, change people's lives, you know, people when people can't afford that. Rich people are going to see an increase. If, they, if they've got like hundreds of thousands of pounds, even if the bill goes up by a thousand, they're not going to notice it in the same way. But John, I'm going to come on to you then. So, um, you know, after what Stuart said there about all the difficulties people are facing, and I'm sure you'll be aware of that from your own constituents as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think is, uh, is, is there an alternative to this? Could things be done differently? Um, and how worried are you as well?
3: I'm, I'm, I'm extremely worried. Uh, I'm very, very worried for the people I represent and for all working people in our country, uh, because the situation is absolutely desperate. And look, you know, we just need to see the bigger picture for a second or two. I mean, we've had a Tory government in effect since 2010, and we had what they called austerity. They said we we're all in it together, didn't they? We're all going to suffer equally to pay off what the Labour government had spent. Of course, it was a a lot of rubbish and there was no truth to it at all. But um, the consequence was that working people uh, paid the price of austerity. And uh, two figures, just to put in your mind, Over over the years from the financial crash through to before COVID, The average income of an ordinary worker was, they'd lost about £14,000 over that 10 or 12 year period. Now, you know, it's a lot of money, um, but it happened slowly and incrementally. And people just tightened the belts and did what they could. Of course, there were welfare cuts and various other things as well. Um, But as I've often said, at the same time as that was happening, there was this massive growth in the wealth of the richest few people. And I've given these figures before, but a 1,000 people in Britain increased their wealth by by over half, by 500 billion pounds in the same period, whereas everybody else was cutting. So what you had, and I'm going to come to the present day in a second, what you had was, pressure downwards on the income of people who work either for a wage or a salary, white collar or blue collar, whatever kind of background, losing, you know, roughly £14,000 per worker over that time. Pressure down on millions of people and then a surge up for the absolute richest in our society and um, that went on, went on through the whole of the period because we came through into Covid and maybe it's been forgotten, but we shouldn't forget it, get it. Because what we've got now is kind of I, I would sort of say it's like it's like a austerity, but on speed. Because what we've got is absolute crushing. Uh, downward pressure now driving people into poverty while still the richest few thousand people in our country are getting richer and richer and richer. So if we're gonna understand what's happening, and if we're gonna solve what's happening, first of all, we've got to have a correct analysis. What actually is happening in our country? And then we can maybe figure out what to do about it. So, you know, it's very hard to, to avoid the word class war because the richest, looking after themselves at the expense of everybody else. And in a way, that's how capitalism works. But it's never been so crude, so naked, or so brutal as it is at the present time. And it has been for some time under the Tories. It's kind of a class war with rocket boosters. Now, if that analysis is body correct, and I've got lots of figures I could throw at the audience, which we might look at as we, as we discuss. Um, then the answer has to be that we cannot accept this creeping, not exactly this accelerating division in the wealth of the richest and the situation which everybody else is uh, facing. I'll just give you one figure, minute. I could I could drown you in figures. Tesco's profits. Tesco's don't produce anything, do they? They just sell things that other people have made. And their profits in a single year went up from 1.7 billion to 2.6 billion pounds. In other words, an additional billion pounds, more or less, increased profits in a single year, whilst everybody else, their customers are really, really suffering. Um, Their chief executive earned 2.6 million pounds in a single year, he earns as much in 24 hours as he pays the average Tesco salary, staff salary uh, in a year. So this is what's happening. And if we understand that, and if we test the argument, and I'm hoping to discussion about it, uh, then I think we then can move towards solutions. Um, yeah.
0: After all you've said there, like do the public get this do you think you know that i'm not really sure that we as as socialists as people on the left have been have been strong enough in explaining exactly what the causes of this are i think like a lot of people who are supposedly on the left are far too comfy with the situation and just think they can tinker around the edges but you know like this is a direct cause of greed. Like people are talking about a cost of living crisis. This is a greed crisis, isn't it? This yeah. is like, you know, the inevitable consequence of a horrendously greedy bunch of people. Do you think whether we're pushing that narrative enough or do we need to do more and how can we do more on that?
3: Well, <laughs> you, you, you know, I, I take a pretty tough line on, on this matter. I, I think if socialists, allow that if the left allows itself to get involved purely in what you might call the culture war battles which the right have chosen which they feel comfortable with because they think that they've got majority of the population the left feels it needs to defend its position but we fail to make the central argument about the nature of our society uh, then we'll lose we lose we lose and so I don't suppose many people follow my my Twitter in in any detail, but it's worth having a look at the last day, week, month, or even year. You'll find every single day we're producing data to show what is really happening in our economy. And the central plank of Marx's critique of capitalism which remains not completely, but largely valid to this day, was economic. What And the socialists uh, need to understand it first. If they haven't studied economics, you know, they need to read about it and understand it. And if you see what's going on, the immiseration of working people by driving down wages and salaries, In order to pump up profits and dividends is a core principle uh, behind in in the way in which our economic system works. Now, I think most people understand it. Of course, they haven't studied Marx. They haven't studied socialist uh, economists of various different types. But most people understand something fundamentally wrong. And I noticed that there was a poll. I'll give you an example. There was a poll not too long ago, and he was asking people, do you think that the country, the government, should have price controls? Now, it's an interesting question because to have price controls, what you're suggesting is that the economy left to itself it's not going to work in the interest of the consumers who the consumers are also the workers, aren't they? Because one minute we're working the next minute we're spending our money at Tesco's or wherever I go to the co-op. But the, the interesting, the thing about the poll. And so therefore, if you say you're in favor of price controls, you are saying we should intervene in the economy in the most quite dramatic way. And, um, By the way, it's not something I would necessarily think is the front front, uh, idea of an economic policy for the left. But amazingly, nearly three out of four people thought, yes, we should have price controls. And what was amazing is 76 percent, more than three quarters of Tory voters thought that there should be price limits, more than the general population. The Tories were more convinced, the Tory voters were more convinced. And uh, when uh, the, you went right down to it and you said, what would you think about controlling the price of food? Food, the most fundamental commodity perhaps except water. 70% of the voters and 65%, two thirds, Tory voters said, yeah, yeah, the price of food should be controlled. Bread, you know, butter, eggs. The staples of our, of life itself it shouldn't be left to the free market. Now, that's quite a remarkable kind of decision. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, of course the left must do more. We've got to focus on the key things that matter to people, to their lives, to their livelihoods, to who they are as human beings. and. Uh, we've got to explain what's going on. But intuitively, I think people are with us if we can find the right language, vocabulary, you know, and know, the way of expressing ourselves and so on. Mm.
0: There's um there's an argument there that's a kind of for a, probably for another show, but like whether people actually argue and, and vote for their tribe rather than policies, because right. I think if people were voting for policy, they would be voting for our policies. <clears throat> yeah. Um Jane <clears throat> Um obviously you know you you've been listening to this and you you'll share all these concerns as well so I'm interested in what you've got got to say about this and also um are there any questions that are really popping out because I know the the chat's really active absolutely brilliant questions there so Jane take it away yeah.
1: Um oh, I mean I'm of something I really care a lot about is the um cost of housing there's so many awful things in the country at the moment um but the cost of housing in the southeast, in London and going out into Oxfordshire and Berkshire, it really is crazy Um, you know you're looking at maybe a thousand pounds a month to rent a small bedsit and then you know if you've got a family, how do you like live in a bedsit and a thousand pounds you still need to be on quite a decent wage to be able to afford that, so um, I just don't know how people are going to cope with this and i, was, I think my understanding is that the um, rising increase in cost of housing is missed out of the inflation calculation so that's not even taken into account with these huge price rises. um but we've had such a lot of comments in that i really wanted to read um so i think if we could go to the comments that'd be really good um so we've had quite a few people bring up the increase in utility bills and um, quantum skyline said his bills gone up from um £1,200 a year to £2,600, so gone up um, £1,400 on the 1200 it was before, um, which is just crazy. Um, so it's been freezing all week, um, but they don't feel they can turn the heating on um, because they can't afford it now. Tracy um, said she's gone into debt of £365 overnight and that's crushing. Um, Jack Jacqueline's on a prepayment meter and hasn't received a letter yet, and for people on a prepayment meter, if you know, there's really no leeway for them, it's going to hit them immediately. Um, if you want a direct debit, it's bad enough, um, but there's a little bit of scope there initially, um, but if you're on a prepayment meter, it's just going to eat it up straight away, isn't it? They're going to be feeling that right away. Um, David um, said he's been talking to colleagues that are members of his union, um, and they've been telling him they can't afford to have the heating on, and they're terrified about what's going on. Um, They've worked all their lives, maybe 15, 20 years or more for the same company, and now they're on the verge of poverty. Um, And Hertfordshire Associates is talking about an elderly woman not seen for three days. She was afraid to put on her lights and heating. she they had to call the welfare because they were concerned about her she was hungry thirsty cold and alone because of this and this is before the price rises because things had already got pretty awful for so many people um so there's a lot of other comments that i wanted to mention and um we've got i think if i mentioned jacqueline's question and um, that you mentioned before yeah. um she said, don't the very rich spend their money on assets, property, land, gold, other people's debts? And we need to limit how many assets they can buy. I did not know if that's something that John might yeah. be able to talk about a bit.
3: Well, all very interesting, uh, but also disturbing, very disturbing stuff. I mean, you know, to think about that boy, 14 years old, the other day, who collapsed, I think, in the high street, uh, they got into hospital. He hadn't eaten. He, he collapsed from hunger. There was nothing in the cupboards at home or in the fridge. and um, He just collapsed of hunger. And of course, that's just one boy whose story we heard in the papers. The papers don't cover that much. The media doesn't cover that much kind of, that kind of story very often, but it's heartbreaking to think of elderly people, Wrapped up in duvets, maybe trying to make a hot water bottle uh, last during the day instead of having the heating on. Um, what kind of country we're becoming, it's unthinkable when the next rise in fuel bills comes in, which is not so far away, probably six months. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for people in the winter and it is heartbreaking, but we've got to both. You know, feel this with our hearts and know just how painful this is. And to live in a country like this and not be upset about it, uh, you've got to be, a, a, you know, you've got to be a Tory, I'm afraid. Um, but you've also, I think, we need to be clinical and we've got to use our brains. I mean, look, <clears throat> the <clears throat> you talked about housing. Housing costs of housing costs across Great Britain. They increased by 53% in in 10 years. The average rent in London, for example, it rose by 77%. um, From an average rent of 940, it's now 1,665. Often, you can be paying over £1,000 to live in a cupboard, basically. It's just terrible in London. I do not know how young working people uh, can manage their... The same with the energy, Uh, if you think, um, well, yeah, here's, if you look at, uh, between Shell and BP, what they did was they spent £147 billion since 2010 buying back shares. Mm. And the purpose of this is to reward the shareholders, to make the shares worth more money, £147 In the coming year, they're predicted to make 40 billion pounds in profits, 40 billion pounds in profits, whilst people are struggling. And of course, it's true what was said earlier that, you know, I, I represent several village, 23 village, former uh, Collier villages in, in Yorkshire. Uh, the, the bus service is crap. There's hardly a rail service. If you work live in one village and work in another, uh, you can hardly afford to fill your car, uh, to, you know, to get to work and back. And yet, your work depends on your having some mobility. So, it's all you know. It's all it's extremely difficult. Now, coming to the question from I think you said it was from Jacqueline about wealth, because this is what it's really about wealth. Um, the rich are getting richer and richer and richer. Some people will say, well, there's always been rich and poor, Um, and I suppose the history of all of human society, since we were hunters and gatherers, what there were uh, wealthy people unless there were different social classes in society. But what we've got at the moment is race away uh, class division, uh, with the wealthy uh, getting uh, richer some by more than a million pound a day I think and it's unacceptable uh, that that kind of wealth exists alongside poverty so whilst you could talk about um, controlling prices you could talk about various different things I think Jacqueline's onto to a central issue is what are we going to do about wealth now here's the thing about our tax system if you work for a living and you earn an income you pay tax don't you that seems to me very axiomatic you know you pay income tax if you, if you earn an income <clears throat> but what very few people have really clocked is that if you earn an income but you don't work then you pay less tax or you pay no tax and i'm not talking about people now all pensioners I'm talking about the richest whose wealth increases year on year. But the thing is, we don't tax the increase in wealth. We only tax income. Now, it's true that if you've got a house and it's worth more than it was 20 years ago and you sell it at that point, you do pay capital gains tax um but that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about some of these people in the the time sunday times rich list who are increasing their wealth by 100 million 200 million a year and uh, they're not paying tax on the increase in wealth and another thing which is not well known is that if you earn dividends from the so say you've got a million pounds in dividends in shell or bp or tescos or wherever They'll pay you a dividend at the end of the year. But did you know that you pay less tax on the dividends than the workers who work for that company pay on their on their earned income? So, you arguably you've got a you've got a dividend on share. You haven't earned that money. It's you know the wealth's been increased by the workforce. They've paid tax on it, but you pay less tax on dividends. Now we privilege we make a privilege out of the ownership of wealth and we don't privilege privilege work just look at the way in which we fail to tax wealth now i've written a pamphlet on published a pamphlet on on wealth which is on my website if anybody's that interested you know in it we we estimate you could you could raise almost 100 billion pounds a year extra if you were to uh, tax wealth. Now, 100 billion pounds is a lot of money. You could do a lot for children who are hungry at school, for pensioners, you know, for the NHS, and so on and so forth. I don't say it's all the solution, but we've got to tackle the central problem of our society, which is the nature of wealth. And it's unhealthy relationship with poverty because wealth increases as poverty increases. Two things go hand in hand. Um, I'm going to come to Stuart in a second,
0: what I want to think about now is let's say right wing arguments which are really, really prevalent in the press yeah. and they're almost taken as being very, very normal and correct. Like people will say, Oh, you need a free market or whatever. But people aren't talking about a free market. So whenever one anyone says they're into a free market, to me I'll say, Oh well, so you won't you'll agree with waving patents then, won't you, for um for everything? Yeah. And you'll you'll drug patents and things like that, because that would be a free market. There wouldn't be patents the problem isn't the fact that there isn't a free market the problem is the fact that the rules every single one of our rules everything in our system is designed to help the wealthy it's designed to create this kind of inequality such as when the banks failed and we bailed them out but we didn't bail out individual people we bailed out the businesses who started to reap profits again so we've got this systemic thing now Stuart, in your community How do you get that message across to ordinary people who've like had these bizarre messages for years that actually the problem's immigration or like, you know, in in the place where you live, that's a, it's a, it has been a BNP stronghold, hasn't it, in years gone by. And people really bought into that rhetoric about like, you know, this is immigration's fault. So they're looking at this problem when the real problem is the whole system is designed to prop up this wealth, and it would actually have failed time and time again in any free market situation. So how do we get that message across to people who live in your community?
2: What what I do is I, 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 the the idea is you know the solutions that we're looking for already already exist in in our communities. We see we see you know good put into practice every day. So when you're talking about, you know, taxation, uh, I'll, I'll talk about the food bank, because we have a food bank and lots of people use it and, and lots of people donate to us. And that is, you know, there's a shortage of food. People are going without. And how did we tackle that? We came together and we shared the burden and we found a way of making sure that these people were fed. And it's like, what would be the, the solution that would make sure that we didn't need that food bank? It would be up well just making sure that everybody got a decent wage and they had access to work. And that problem went away. And that people caught to that and I was like, that's the same for taxation. You know, it's sharing the burden and understanding there's a responsibility for, you know, the people with the broader shoulders to take the most weight. And that, that clicks in the community. Now th- clearly there's the issues of language we, we we struggle when we when we say look we need to tax wealth people see wealth and see it as ambition as trying hard as you know putting the graft in but the kind of wealth we're talking about is more along the lines of hoarding you know it's just hoarding resources and when you talk about hoarding you know it's dirty it's, uh, it's you know linked to mental illness it's it's needless it's something that needs to be tackled you know it's something you don't want. You don't want you to find out that your grandfather's a hoarder because you'll have to go in and spend nine months digging out old newspapers. It's a it's seen as a dirty thing, as a negative thing. If we start talking, you know, getting those conversations across, where it's, look, this is awful. This is gross. You don't want this wealth hoarding. It's disgusting. It's a real problem. People would, you know, look at it differently. So it's you know building those kind of synaptic connections for people. With the little stories with the examples that where they're already contributing to the solution in their communities and just letting that kind of build up to the point where they, they can see that they could change this whole system, that they couldn't envision a solution to it because they, they've already seen it in practice.
0: And, um, you know, I'm going to come to you now, John. Like So let's say, for example, um, what, there are links here, aren't there? There are links so during the pandemic, people became more wealthy because the system was designed as soon as as soon as they start pumping the money into the economy, the economy doesn't trickle down as we were told by Reagan and Thatcher. It actually yep. squeezes up to the top, and that money that they put in through whatever you want to call it, whether that's quantitative easing, whether you want to call it borrowing, whatever you want to call that, that money found its way to the top, and taxation should have been to redistribute that wealth back into the population. That's the whole point of taxation. Um, but like, is there any is there any mileage I suppose in talking about you know the like for the for the, for example the price of housing has gone up. It's a direct consequence of people becoming wealthier. the wealthiest become wealthier, then they can purchase more houses to to own more to be a landlord so they can earn more money through renting out their properties and raising the prices and things like that I didn't there, I think it was 14 percent the house prices went up during the pandemic on average you know so there's a direct link there are there other like are there direct links there that you think that we can tie? communities so they can understand it in a real substantive way like that actually genuinely affects my life i can see the process i can see it happening
3: yeah i mean look covid was used uh to shovel money uh, into their wallets uh wealthy tories i mean It's impossible to avoid the conclusion. That's how it was used, and in the most vulgar and corrupt way imaginable. Um, I'm not using those words in the illustration I'm now going to give you because I'll get sued. (laughs) So let's separate what I'm now going to say from what I've just said. AstraZeneca, everybody will have heard of them now. During the the 10 years up to uh, the present time, They've increased their, well, their value from 45 billion to 145 billion pounds, going to buy 100 billion pounds. In 2021, the chief executive of AstraZeneca was paid 15.4 million pounds for a year's work. I mean, um, the same as you described with the housing market. I mean, the housing market accelerated when. So many working people, key workers were out there doing what they could for us to keep our society going and get infected and some of them sadly uh, dying, working for us. I did have a hope at the early days uh, when it were obvious uh, of Covid you know that when they were applauding the key workers and you saw signs going up, little kids drawing rainbows and put them in the windows of the mum and dad's house about the NHS and that, and that we applaud key workers, that we could come out of the crisis uh, saying that, actually, our country uh, is held together by the key workers, and we don't pay them enough, we don't look after them, and we don't value them sufficiently. It's not the ones who get the medals and the gongs and the OBEs. It's the chief executives that all get that kind of that silverware. we're going to change our priorities but for that to happen it requires strong opposition um you know the grassroots making the argument at every level um that we organize that our society has got it wrong it's simply wrong Mm -hmm. that these kind of people should make that kind of money about something which is a threat to our very humanity called COVID. And the same with property speculation. Why should people who have got rich be allowed to have 12 houses, Mr Sunak? Hmm. 12, who's just flown off, we're told, to the Californian sunshine to use one of his 12 houses, whilst other people have no house at all you know, I think there are common sense arguments. And of course, you're right, you put your finger on the central question, which is, how do we develop a language and a way of talking to people I like the idea of using the word hoarding, by the way, um, uh, which people can relate to. But whenever I'm talking, uh, generally in a public meeting or anywhere else, I, I often use the phrase uh that i don't mind people if i don't mind people who work hard if they're talented and they do well in life but that's not what is happening because the dice are loaded against most people so i think if you start off with a phrase like that at the beginning i don't mind if people do well if they work hard and they're talented pay tax but that is not what is happening then you can go on to make the argument, look, <clears throat> you know, the dice are loaded uh, and we've done a lot of work in my office and we might publish something at some point or another on what's so-called social mobility. The idea that if you start off, you know, in a working class house in my patch, you've got the same chance as everybody else to get to the top. Well, it's utter non- it's nonsense. It simply is untrue. Uh, that that should be the case and so when people say to you well you know i don't want to put a cap on ambition or or achievement or social mobility of course we want people to do the live the best lives that they can and achieve whatever they can for the good of humanity uh, but that isn't what happened in our society we've put the ladder which is meant to suck this such daft idea of a ladder that you can climb up it's a ladder without any rungs anymore. You can't climb up it. I mean, even sports people now seem to have, a lot of them seem to have gone to public school or come from fairly posh backgrounds. I don't have the figures in front of me, but if you look at almost every profession, whether it's journalism, whether it's the judiciary, whether it's MPs, working class people are not, get, not making it, mate. They're simply not making it. And uh, I think it's a problem if you've got rich people um from certain backgrounds making up the vast majority of of MPs, ministers and and, uh, cabinet members an I, don't interesting. I, answered the question. I don't think I answered your question, but I, I rambled on about it there, didn't I? <laughs> it was all interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, oh, all there's,
0: there's an interesting statistic about musicians. Like in the 90s, I think it was something like right. seven, 7% of chart music was from people from private schools, and then after the right. financial crash, it changed to right. something like 98%. Now, don't quote those figures. It's something in those it's regions, worth looking though. Up. It's worth
3: looking up, definitely. Um, it's worth, you know, but I mean, and, and I don't have the figures for, um, you know, for uh, some of the sports, but, you know, itself, when you think about it, it's self-evident that, you know, you've got to have a large amount of money and resources nowadays to make it in sport, you know. Of course, you've got to have natural the genetic ability, whether it's for rowing or football or uh, cycling or whatever it might be, but it does, doesn't have help if you, know, if you can get the best possible equipment, trainers and um, access to the resources which you need, uh, you know, in a private school or wherever. And, of course, um, you know, working-class heroes, you used to see them on the rugby league pitch, uh, rugby union pitch less so, and on the football pitch uh, quite a lot. But now, apart from rugby league, it seems to to be moving quite rapidly in the wrong wrong kind of direction. But I don't know what I'm obsessed about sport. The point is, though, it illustrates a general point that the idea that that society rewards talent uh, is a largely, not exclusive, but largely a myth. It's a myth that people who start off at birth with some sort of genetic inheritance, which um, gives them genius, that somehow they're going to be able to realise that in society. Of course, I'm not going to say it won't ever happen, because that would be a ridiculous claim to make. But generally, the speaking, the, the uh, you know, the people who do well in whichever profession you look at in our society tend to come from more privileged backgrounds. So it's a tendency, but the figures are very clear. And uh, the we've got off onto a side issue here, but it's important if we understand what's going on in our society. There was something called the Social Mobility Commission. Which the Tories set up, and they gave it to Alan Milburn, who's hardly a lefty, to chair. And I don't know if you remember, he resigned, and all of his, the whole, every member of the commission resigned with him because what they said was, you know, they're not delivering any social mobility at all. It makes, actually, it makes a, a mockery of the idea of levelling up. But if you have people in leading profession professions, you know, whichever profession you can think of will come from privileged backgrounds and you're going to get you're going to get proposals which suit those backgrounds.
0: Mm, absolutely yeah and it's like the that idea that you know opportunities there's far more opportunity and we talked about this in the in the northern discomfort meetings than we when we talked yeah, about like yeah. they they kept them, I think they used the language of white working class boys need yeah. to have more um what was it <laughs> um not ambition but it's 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 a word like that and then um and we says well they don't need that they need more opportunity they need yeah. more opportunity to thrive and that's the same for all working class children not just yeah. like i don't know why they created a category for just working class white boys you know it's right. a bizarre thing to have done but um yeah. jane um loads and loads of comments coming in and also have you got anything to say because you're always interesting.
1: Oh, well, we've got so many comments, so I think I'll get to the comments. Um, yeah. Oh, by so- the way,
0: Ray Goodspeed, thank you for helping me. It was uh, aspiration. They keep on talking about... Like, yeah, aspiration, right. They, they right. lack aspiration, and that's the only problem. That's why working-class people don't do as well, because they don't really want to it's like of course they do
3: i've never met a child
0: like as a teacher i've never met a child who doesn't have aspirations to earn a load of money and be really successful that's every single one of them (laughs) wants to do well with their lives so they aren't greedy necessarily but they want to have a good life they want to do positive things sorry jane
1: oh no that's good that's okay um so um we've got a lot of um we've had a lot of comments about um well, um, well, I'll just go straight to them, actually. Neil Farb, um, Fairbain said the Tories boasted that they designed universal credit to make work pay. In other words, starve people into low-paid, exploitative jobs. And Neil Terry um, has raised the fact that um, the Tories still boast that work is the best way out of poverty, whilst ignoring that we have so many people who are in work po- poverty. Um Hartfordshire Socialist: Socialists, the workers are subsidising employers now in low wages. And... Um, Dave said um, that um, the um, sorry, (laughs) um, how to put business profit without workers. And Stephen Gillings said, "Is this not about a complete tax overhaul? Why are shareholders making fortunes, big companies making huge profits, and the majority of taxes being paid by working people? It's disgusting. and And when are we going to oppose it?" Um, Very Goodspeed said, this is not some special form of capitalism. It's business as usual. The 30 years after World War II were the unusual ones. Capitalism needs inequality and greed. They are its motors. Um, And Hertfordshire Associates, again, said we are taxed and taxed and taxed again. All the time it lines the pockets of the rich. Trickle down. There's no such thing. Um, It's not even a drip down. Um, Roof. Um, has mentioned her local food, um, a project in her local community um, that was set up um, where surplus food from supermarkets um, was sold to local people, five pounds, for 35 pounds worth of produce and that they ran out almost as soon as they started up and that the food banks, um, her local one, they'd only give out two food parcels a year to people because there's so much demand. So, I mean, if you're in poverty, that's not gonna keep you alive, is it two food parcels a year if you're starving? Um, again, um, of socialists, don't forget the banks telling people not to ask for more wages, um, you know, from a, yeah. from a head of the bank who's on over 500,000 pounds a year. Um. Yeah. Then we've got Steve Ginning again. How does the panel feel about companies like Amazon, who over the last couple of years have expanded massively and made huge profits and employ people through recruitment agencies, hiring, firing, dism- dismissing and hurting? Um, and those people think they're doing them a good turn. Uh, this is a class war. Um, when you think about the kind of profits the companies at Amazon are making, and then you think about a film like, Sorry, We Missed You, and that that is the reality for so many people. Um, I know we've discussed the drugs companies, but this is becoming more common now, isn't it? I think. Yeah,
0: abs- absolutely. I think um, I'd absolutely agree with Stephen's comments <laughs> there. What I want to do for the last, um, last few minutes now is come up with, like, what are the solutions? So I suppose long-term, I guess we agree that the system needs complete overhaul. It needs dismantling. We need to have rules that protect ordinary people rather than rules that... Um, protect big business from failing because that's what we've got at the moment we've got rules that support massive corporations they don't support small businesses they don't support people trying to improve the lives of the people in their local communities they support people who already have vast wealth so what could have been done short term to try and fix this, um, what they call in the cost of living crisis, but I think what we should refer to as the cost of Tories crisis. Um, and I suppose, I, from there's a couple of questions in there about the Labour Party, John, and what are the Labour Party doing about this? Now, I know that you might not be saying things exactly the same as the front bench, and I believe if you were on the front bench, you would be taking a di- different uh, route. But, um, you know, what could be done differently and what should we be doing differently, I suppose, is the
3: question there. Well, <laughs> um, uh, well, I think the first phone call that I'm aware of that Keir Starmer made was to me and when he sacked me from the front bench. I've actually uh, <laughs> tried to serve um, – I'd worked in number 10 for Gordon Brown. I'd worked for Ed Miliband for five years and um, I was the first person – SMP MP publicly to nominate Jeremy, I worked for, for him for five years, <clears throat> I think it was on the Monday, I think it was, after Keir became leader, he ran me up and sacked me, but you know, I sort, of, I sort of, I don't know, there was something in the air that told me how to expect that phone call, so it wasn't completely unexpected. Um. So you'll have to ask him what what is the Labour Party uh, uh, proposing? But if I can give advice from the sidelines, from my humble sat position, it will be to be uh, bold, to be radical, to uh, propose a rupture, a rupture with the current set of arrangements um, because they don't work, as we've discussed. Um, It's plain to see Where was I the other day? I had to go to the chemist to pick up a prescription. And I went into a little local town, not far from me. I'm not gonna mention the name because it will be unfair. And I've been actually on medical leave for some time, just getting back into it now. And I was shocked to see the poverty, how much it had got worse in four months since I'd been out. Uh, I was really, really shocked. Uh, It was profoundly upsetting, actually. And I thought to myself, "Okay, it was a back area. um, But anyway, you know, it's not working and therefore it needs to change. And it's got to be piecemeal change won't deliver it. It simply won't deliver it. So I think you're going to be bold. You've got to be radical. You're off off a, a rupture. Now, there's a word of caution to comrades on the left because... When we use the word change, uh, especially big radical change, then people hear it might feel fear. And they might feel fear because every change that's happened over the last 10 to 15 years has been terrible for, for most working people. They might say, we've had enough bloody change. We don't, we don't need no more change if that's the direction we're going in. So we've got to find a way, the leadership, uh, the party, the movement, the left, we've got to find a way of offering a prospect for a new kind of country, which, uh, but which is reassuring to people. And that, I think, starts with understanding where where the people are, what the conditions of life are, what the real problems are, and then trying to find solutions to them. So if you like, that's my big picture argument. How are we going to frame the argument for change um, versus continuity? Now, I'll just make one further point on that bigger, bigger framing argument. You don't necessarily lose an election if you offer big change. And we can prove that because what did Boris do? He offered, he offered, remember before he went to the election, he sat 20-odd Tory MPs and he offered to drive through a particularly obnoxious form of Brexit. And he said he would deliver, deliver on it. And, of course, um, it was a particularly obnoxious form of Brexit, let's be honest about it. Uh, but my point is this, <clears throat> that the country's got, there's an appetite in the country for change. Um But if we get involved in all sorts of smaller cultural issues, um, we're not gonna, we're not going to hold the majority. And if we uh, offer change which sounds disruptive and dangerous and threatening as so much change has in the last uh, well since thatcher really, then uh, we're not going to win the argument either. So look, look, this is complicated. I think that there are there are two phases to what we have to do first is to make a big resonating argument about what's going wrong with the country i believe that can work because everybody knows something's going wrong as i've just said but our explanation has to be not that the 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 top plus the middle should be afraid of the bottom but rather that the middle and the bottom i don't want to use it in pejorative terms but if you know what i'm saying have got a lot to fear from those people at the very, very top. Those people at the very, very top have been treacherous uh, as to the country's interests. If you look at energy supply, for example, how is it that we're getting these ridiculous uh, price rises when it's not happening in France and Germany and anywhere else? The country's interests have been betrayed by the ruling class. So the question is, can we frame an argument which recaptures a majoritarian position of the two-thirds of the country, middle and lower income earners, plus those in poverty, against the people at the top. I believe an argument can be made, and I believe it can be. Now, in that context, then, you know, the, the policies which you adopt need to illustrate the way in which you're thinking. And um, I think there's a number of things you could do I'm not personally convinced by the idea that a one-off tax on the petrol companies uh, to reduce prices is sufficiently radical. I just aren't convinced of it economically. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, that's where we need to go. So I've made some proposals about how you would uh, begin to tax wealth. And you could raise huge amounts of money without actually destroying, you know, without actually destroying capitalism, if you weren't minded to destroy it or to modify it in such a way as it will be more helpful. And I think that's where the left needs to get itself. But, you know, to finish this point on a slightly depressing note, uh, I'm afraid that a lot of the left have not got themselves in a position where they're making arguments uh like that which would frame a proper contest between the forces of progress on the one hand and the forces of reaction on the other
0: yeah i think there's a lot of room like say for example i was speaking to people who i I speak to people who run small businesses and and what have you and like if you suggest to them um pay ratios they're into it they can't yeah. fathom. Most people who own a small business can't fathom earning 10, yeah. 15, 20 times what their employees are. They just yeah. they yeah. won't do it. Yeah. Their, their employees are people they actually do care about because it's a small yeah. business. They know them. Yeah. And yeah. you can do that with small business. Yeah. And so like, like people... You know, you don't want to get rid of local shops. You don't want to get rid of local gyms. You don't want to get rid of your local pub. That's not what you're... We're against this massive corporate greed. We're not against some people doing okay for themselves by by working hard and, and employing people in the local community. That is not what we're
3: against. No, no not at all. But, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. And, um, you know, the, the natural instincts of the British people <laughs> of course, there's lots of unpleasant aspects. Um, lots of un- when you just you know in the streets or in the corp like I am, or whatever you, you hear odd comments sometimes which are deeply unpleasant. But the natural instincts of more, most ordinary folk, like was said earlier, if you've got a neighbour in trouble, you help them. And when the COVID was at its worst, see, I live in a village. I live in a, a village. I live in an English village in the middle England. <laughs> it happens to be in a former coal mining village, uh, but there were people who were too vulnerable to leave the home. What did people, other people, do? They said, "Well, I'm going to put a mask on and go to court for you." And the parish council—it's a Labour parish council in our village—they um, organised. They helped organise it with the churches. And it worked, you know, and, and people went out of the way to even put themselves at risk by going shopping for neighbours or people down the street. And that. That's the kind of thing you see every day, because there's two, if we've got one final bit of hope thing to say is there are two, what would you say? There are two contrasting ethoses. if the, if the plural of ethos is ethos, I don't know if it is. Anyway, there, there, there are two competing value systems. One, which was, one of which is, booger you, I'm going to look after myself. I'm just going to get rich and I don't care about anybody else. And you do encounter that. On the other hand, you've got people who say, um, you know, if, if I know somebody who needs help, even if I don't know them well, I'll do what I can for them because uh, that's what I'm about. And then people will say, our street needs a good clean up or the community needs, you know, whatever. I'm going to get involved and get stuck in. That sort of community ethos, building from the bottom up, is everywhere, man. Everywhere you can encounter it, and but nobody's knitted it together into a big, you know, big model for how society could be. But my point is this: inside almost every single one of us, there is that, you know, that sense of uh, wanting to do good by humanity, and uh, it's that that we've got to build on somehow.
0: I was I was speaking about the people I don't think it's absolutely everyone because um I was thinking about the people who have absolutely no shame and they seem to be in government at the moment, the people who don't <laughs> care what anyone else thinks, yeah, the shameless yeah, people. So yeah, yeah. um I'm gonna just say right, I'm gonna come round the panel. I'm gonna start with Stuart, then Jane, then John. Just one thing you would have liked to have seen in the spring statement that wasn't there that could have helped. Something that could have helped so Stuart something that could have helped in the spring statement
2: uh, a a proper social security uh reform uh one that actually you know would would help help workers families the most vulnerable you know get things straight uh cost effective you know and, you know a very simple easy way of lifting those people at the bottom up in the short term at least until you've got a a more
0: sound economic position Mm. and also the argument there as well if people are saying why should people get something for nothing well you would say well you know people at the top are getting something for nothing and also (laughs) those people will spend that money in their local community People who yeah. don't have very much will not be taking that money and putting it into a bank account in the Cayman Islands. Yeah. They'll be spending it in local shops. So putting money into your community is always good for people. I learned that from you, Stuart, when we talked about yeah. this for, uh, through Unite Community who do yeah. brilliant work.
2: How I tell people is that you know social security support is a worker's right. You mm. probably work very hard to have this support. Don't forget that it's your right to have it.
0: Brilliant. Um, Jane, one thing you would have done.
1: And I, um, can I do Heartfish's Socialist um, event so the caps? They yeah. put that in the comments. Um, but I wanted to say as well, I know it's greedy, but I would say investment in green infrastructure that would provide well-paid, unionised local jobs and reduce our reliance on these high-cost energy markets.
0: Yeah, and, and probably protection for the infant industry there as well, you know, and, and have a little bit of a there's, a, there's even a capitalist argument, even if you wanted to go down that route for um, protecting infant industries. But, you know, people don't tend to make that one anymore. And, John, one thing that you think would have made a difference in, in people's lives in well, the very um, short term?
3: Well, if I only allowed one, I suppose I'd go for £15 minimum wage, £15 an hour, paid for by a uh, tax on, um, you know, the wealthiest few people could raise it really uh without even damaging them that much by taxing uh the thousand most rich people in our country um but together with um proper improvements in wealth welfare benefits as well commensurate with the 15 pounds an hour would uh, would you England support
0: point. businesses in doing that so say if you had small businesses and they were saying they couldn't afford 15 pound an hour would they would they be supported in that is that something you would think that would be the reason for ways, the taxation
3: yeah, yeah well I think there are a number of ways of doing it yeah through taxation through uh, welfare benefits and uh, uh, various other systems and including um, you know uh, making sure that um, small businesses who are working for the state or for councils you know paid a remunerated a proper amount of money so that they can afford to pay um you know they can afford to pay the minimum wage but yeah i mean it would you know you wouldn't want to just impose it on every sector of the economy without talking it through with them first so you'd want uh, an announcement that we intend to move towards 15 pounds an hour uh, and we'll be starting sectoral conversations immediately with each sector of the economy to you know to address their particular problems and that's that is you know the consensual way forward
0: Absolutely brilliant. Well, thank you so much, John. Um, We're going to... We're going to call it a night now, so on behalf of Socialist Think Tank, thank you so much. You can join Socialist Think Tank by uh, going to socialistthinktank.com. You can donate if you want. You don't have to if you become a member. You are just a member regardless of whether you pay or not because we are socialist and we want everyone to get involved. So please do get involved in everything. Someone mentioned as well the big switch-off that Deepak did on Friday, so a really, really positive thing there um, that they're doing. So um, support your local... um, do d- disable people against the cuts groups and uh, also try and get out there for the People's Assembly against austerity and spread the word. Thank you for all your messages tonight. You've been absolutely brilliant. Um, it's been really, really good fun to to uh, have so many people in the comments, and I hope you come back again in future. So that is us for tonight. Thank you so yeah. much, and we will see you again um very soon. Bye. Yeah. Yeah.
3: flag flying here yeah.